Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman, and I am joined by no one this week. This is a solo flight. It's just you and me. Uh, Braden is in a show in Winnipeg and was unable to join us. Elliot returning this weekend from his honeymoon. We will have him back on the show next week, but we've been off for too long to postpone another episode. And therefore, as I said, you get me and me alone. All right, let's get to it. Here's topic one. All right, so this is going to very quickly uh, devolve into a conversation with very little rebuttal and very little uh, response. I will do my best to be unbiased and un. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is going to be fun. We're just going to have a conversation about what uh, has been going on around the sports world. Um, a couple topics about sort of more current events. And then I've got kind of a bit of a, a classic solo sports radio rant. Um, things that I've just been feeling and I wanted to share. So I'm going to do that in the third topic. But let's start with number one right off the hop. The Major League Baseball playoffs are well underway. And uh, you know what the thing I've been saying on this show for I don't know, months now, um, much to the chagrin of Braden, especially who's obviously a big baseball fan, but Elliot too, who has uh, continued to grow in his fandom of baseball is the fact that I believe very strongly that major league baseball has slipped in its prestige in terms of how it is regarded in uh, everyday American culture in the sports landscape. Uh, it's fallen from sort of, I think at one point being uh, in a very, tight fight with the national football league to be like the predominant sport of record in the United States. You know, it's known as America's pastime and all that, but I believe in the last decade and a half that it has really slipped in terms of its popularity, in terms of its importance, in terms of its relevance. And I think there's a lot of factors for that. I think the speed of the game, I think that the attention span of fans, I think that the way that modern media has sort of really turned its attention to individual athletes. And I also think fantasy sports has a huge part of that. NFL is uh, obviously popular because it's, it's a very wide reaching sport. There's teams all across the country, but moreover, I think that the way fantasy football has helped that sport to continue to explode and to grow new audiences is really, really critical. And I think that the NBA for its part has grown and become as dominant as it is culturally, because it has had these really prolific athletes who have had huge um, social media presences and huge sort of just cultural um, importance that all of that being said, I do believe baseball, as I say, is slipping. However, when you hit October, there really isn't anything more fun than Major League Baseball playoffs. I mean, it is awesome. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And the crazy thing is that this year, I really feel like it's changed in some ways. I think that it isn't as simple as saying, hey, the wild card format has shifted and that has helped. Every game matters uh, more so than I think it has ever felt like it has before because you have these underdog teams, these lower ranked teams that are all of a sudden making these huge strides and and, and these long runs and you're having some some sort of surprises or, or, or upsets. And I think that that's really, 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 really fun. I mean, we've been a huge proponent of the San Diego Padres on this show all season long after Elliot sort of uh, accidentally fell uh, backwards into their 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 fandom into a bandwagon kind of jump uh, early in the year. So we've been talking Padres, but Padres have had a great run. They've they lose Sunday night. Unfortunately, their run is over. They lose to Philadelphia. But that was a great team to follow. And what what made it compelling was you had them going up against the Goliaths of the Dodgers. They obviously beat the Dodgers, which was huge. Uh, and then came up against the Phillies and the powerhouse uh, of, you know, Harper and, and, and the guys in Philly, who also a part of a franchise that has had uh, moderate success recently, but has this great lineage. And it's just really exciting to see. 
on the other side, you know, we we saw the uh, Mariners who had made it into the postseason for the first time since 2001 go on a run. Uh, of course, they uh, they were unable to get past the Houston Astros, who are now, um, you know, pushing hard against the New York Yankees um, in their series with them. Uh, very possible, of course, that they'll uh, walk away with that series, too. You know, and obviously Houston dominating New York. And look, the truth is, at the end of the day, Major League Baseball playoffs are fun. They're exciting. And they do grab that zenith of sort of attention um, that they don't seem to have throughout most of the rest of the year and most of the rest of the summer. So I think that, you know, overall, when you look at it, you know, obviously for a team like San Diego, there's disappointment. But at the same time, their success this postseason is great for Major League Baseball. It only can serve to help. Major League Baseball continue to try to grow that audience and get attention. It'd be nice to see the Mariners have would have gone on, you know, beat the Astros. That would have been awesome. The Blue Jays, obviously, for Canada's sake, it would have been awesome to see them go further. But I think for baseball, October is when they shine and they have done nothing but shine this postseason. And it's been fun to see them grow and, and, and shift and change. I think the only thing I would I would counter with is I think that um one of the things that we we need to hope continues to happen for baseball is that when they identify those little things about their game that can get better, like ensuring that there aren't the same levels of human error in umpiring or officiating, that there aren't um, mistakes made uh, on the base pads and, and those kind of things. Obviously, as we've talked about, there's going to be some changes made next year. They're trying to increase scoring and all of that, make the game faster, make the game more uh, competitive, but at the end of the day, baseball playoffs is where it's at. It's been great all year long, and uh, I'm excited to see what's left uh, here as we get set up for the World Series. Uh, looking like it's probably going to be, uh, you know, uh, well, I mean, Philadelphia might still have a real shot, depending on on how they uh, they carry into this next into into that world series but for philly fans i mean it's just exciting that they got there too bad for the padres i'm sorry elliot i know this is probably very disappointing but uh look at the end of the day you went on a honeymoon during uh baseball playoff season what kind of fan are they are you all right let's leave it there that's topic one do you like fast cars do you like when they race whether you're a seasoned formula one fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing Check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, topic two, we haven't had an opportunity yet to really get into the start of the NHL season, which is now uh, about two weeks underway. Every team... Uh, so far has started to sort of figure out what their, um, you know, what those early season jitters are. Hopefully most teams have got the rust out of the way and we're starting to get a sense of where these teams sort of shake out and moreover where they're struggling and where the strengths are. And obviously you don't have to look any further than the city I live in to really see the struggles of a team that had a lot of potential and a lot of attention on it coming into the uh, regular season and has absolutely fallen flat on their face the vancouver canucks are the last team to be winless they have yet to have a victory they are four and oh four and two four losses so they they, they have two points from two overtime losses 
But boy, oh boy, uh, I don't know where to start. Look, the Canucks had a difficult schedule to start the season. They had to go out on the road and play five away. Uh, a lot of people would tell you that's not a great way to have to start your season, but I would also argue that as a team, there's an opportunity inherent there for them to use it as uh, group building and to be focused primarily on hockey alone. You're not at home. You're not dealing with family life or anything else that surrounds you when you're in your own city. And yet the Canucks went out there and had a miserable, miserable start to the season game one against the Oilers. They got up 3-0 in the first period. Everything was going the Canucks' way. The Oilers, I think, struggling a little bit early with the the energy in the building, obviously. Opening night, you always have those sort of long introductions. That was coupled with a tribute to uh, Ben, uh, the young gentleman who passed away uh, over the summer but had been a huge support and fan of them during the playoffs and a huge sort of touch point for a lot of uh, Oiler fans around the country. So the Canucks jumped on the Oilers early in that game, go up 3-0. I remember watching it and listening to... Uh, I believe it was JT Miller at the first intermission with Scott Oak. And he was talking about how oh, we couldn't have got out to a better start. This is exactly what we wanted to do. We've struggled in the last couple seasons to get good starts. Here we are. We just got to hold on. And then the Oilers poured it on and destroyed them. It was like, I think six, three or something in the end to turn that game around and come back from being down three, nothing for the Oilers was just, you know, it looked too easy. And the Canucks just looked absolutely flat and they remain that way moving through the rest of their their uh sweep uh of 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 that road trip and then they find themselves in their home opener and i don't know if you've seen this yet but if you haven't go online uh to the canucks youtube or it's probably on their instagram and twitter but check out their their home video uh package that plays the beginning of their hockey games on the jumbotron um last season i had a couple friends out here who worked on their opening video they have for the last couple years sort of raised the bar as far as what the in-house video content looks like and it's awesome uh last year they had this sort of marvel theme and they got a bunch of players to buy in and had a whole bunch of special effects but i'm telling you this season they've taken it to a whole new level apparently this is part one of what's going to be a two-part kind of you know, a video package thing. I don't know, maybe halfway through the season or something, they've got part two coming, but I mean, they, they literally enlisted like Hollywood uh, to, to make this work. We, we, we joke in this city that we're kind of called Hollywood North because we've got so much production here, but uh, Colby Smolders, Vancouver native and, and um, actor, obviously known for the Marvel movies. She shows up in the first of first scene of this, what can only be described as like a cinematic trailer for the Canucks. Uh, it's like a Mission Impossible thing. And they've got all these players buying in. They got Elias Pettersson up on the roof of Rogers Center and this big fancy effect and a bunch of green screen effects and all this. It, it truly, as far as, you know, opening videos. And I'm, I really feel like, uh, the game has been put on another level here by the Canucks. Regardless, they set up this opening night as all the you know all the bells and whistles are there. The energy in the building has to be off the chain. Everybody's been waiting and slowly hoping that the Canucks are going to find it. They're going to turn that corner. There's all this expectation, and the Buffalo Sabers come into town after having dismantled the Oilers, having dismantled the Calgary Flames. They walk into Vancouver last night and they poop all over the home party. Oh, Lord. Five, one. There's no there's there, there's not a team in the NHL right now that is struggling in the way the Canucks are. I mean, we're game we're five. We're what? Six games in six games in. And it's possible that Bruce Brudrow doesn't see game 10 at this point. 
I mean, that's crazy, right? This is a guy who took over halfway through last season. They kept him on. Obviously, Jim Rutherford, who is now in charge of this organization, has to be scratching his bald little head thinking, how on earth am I supposed to turn this around this quickly? Because at this point, frankly, the energy in this city is they should just be selling off JT Miller. They should be selling off any available player that doesn't have a contract going into next year. And they should be focusing on tanking as hard as they possibly can to get Connor Bedard, who is a West Vancouver kid. They need to figure out real fast whether they have something or nothing here, because right now it looks like absolutely nothing. Quickly, let's jump around the rest of the league. We'll talk Oilers in a second. I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking on kind of an Oilers tangential uh, topic in the uh, uh, in the third topic. So I'm not going to spend too much time on them, but they've obviously also struggled a little bit here they're two three and oh and the biggest thing about that is that at least two of the losses were games they should have won or had a chance to win one again again against buffalo they really um just struggled to get any kind of uh pushback after going down early and then you know they they i think they had something like 40 plus shots and just could not beat a hot goaltender uh nothing you could do there at the end of the day and then again they lose uh the other day to uh, well, when they lost to Calgary, too, that was another game. I thought they really had an opportunity to win it. They had a really slow start, and that cost them obviously having to pull the goaltender. My big thing is this uh, with the Oilers. It's not goaltending right now. This is this is structural, fundamental, um, just just lapses, uh, turnovers, bad defensive back checks, just situational hockey that you can do better. And when you do better, those goaltenders will have opportunities to keep you in the game more than they are. Let's rip around the lead. Calgary looks great. 4-1 already to start the season through five games. They are as advertised. Jonathan Huberdeau, Nazem Kadri, the uh, Mackenzie Weger, the other additions that are there have made him look really good. Call, uh, the, the Golden Knights also looking great. And, and frankly, Seattle has had a, a, a decent little start here too. Obviously, two OT losses are kind of propping them up, but they've played well. Uh, kept that differential down. Uh, but a grant, again, a grant around the league, it's the teams you expect. You know, the Stars are up there. The Avalanche are up there. The Blues have been really good. I don't believe the Blues currently have a regulation loss yet. No, nope, they're still the only team without... Oh, no, uh, the Stars also don't have a regulation loss. But the Blues have not lost at all. So the, the, the Stars lost in overtime. So that's great for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, on the other side, though, the Maple Leafs, slow. Really slow to start the season. If you're a fantasy sports fan, too, like they, they their big stars have been kind of quiet. They haven't really had... Uh, the, the kind of hop and, and and jump we've been hoping for. It's it's very early, but it's interesting. You know, this is the point in that first couple weeks of the season where you start hitting the panic button like prematurely or, or overreacting. And I think most teams aren't aren't quite there yet. The team that has surprised me though, and I wanted to just draw attention to, uh, is from Pennsylvania. And it isn't the Penguins who are number one in the division, but it's the Flyers under John Tortorella. And I'm very impressed so far with what John Tortorella has managed to do there. He's kept that team in hockey games, uh, the, the two losses they had, I believe, were also like one or two point losses. Um, they've been playing really, really well. Yeah, so they they lost uh, they lost to the Islanders, and that was a 2-1 loss, and they lost to the Capitals, and that was a 3-1 loss, and one of those was an empty net goal. So again, the Flyers have been very competitive in the games that they have lost. They've been tight. They've been checking. They've been playing really well. So around the league overall, I would say that that Every team is starting to figure out, you know, what they need to focus on and work on in these early couple of weeks. It's not time to panic. Nobody needs to panic. Oiler fans, you, just, you need to calm down. Don't relax. Just relax. There's lots of hockey to be played. Uh, you're going to figure it out as we go. If you're a Canucks fan, on the other hand, it is definitely time to hit the panic button. And I'd be smashing it really hard. Look, as an Oiler fan through the decade of darkness, I can sympathize because seeing the Canucks fans, here's another one. I, I don't mean to pile on the Canucks, but I, I mean... Look, I, I live and work in this city. I work with Canucks fans every single day. It's right there. It's easy to have those conversations where you go, what's going on? And they are shaking their heads. They have no idea. The big thing for me is 
when you have a home opener that is as hyped and as much energy in the building as I'm sure they had to get that one underway and you lay a stinker like that, I mean, no, no surprise the fans are booing. No surprise jerseys are ending up on the ice. This is what we've seen in the past. It's the home opener. I mean, you have to show up for that hockey game. Fans will forgive you for losing it in overtime or losing it, you know, by a couple points there in the third period. But if you are fighting, the Canucks did not show up in the first period. Go back and watch the highlights of this hockey game and find me one situation in any of those goals against where the Canucks could have or should have, uh, you know, had a better fate. They gave every single one of those goals up way too easy. It was ugly. And you know, the home DJ, when he starts playing Sweet Caroline in the third period, he's doing everything he possibly can to try to turn the mood around in that building. And they booed incessantly through it. Go look it up. The video is heartbreaking. I, like, I genuinely feel bad for the Canucks organization at this point that it has gotten to this this bad two years ago when we were in the bubble in Edmonton, they went on this surprising little run in the playoffs, made it to the Western conference final. It looked like all the, all the pieces were coming together. You've got a great goaltender in Thatcher Demko. You've got Elias Pettersson. And now you've got JT Miller and you've got Quinn Hughes and you've got Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. I mean, and Niles, Niels Hoaglander and even this Kozmenko kid who came over, he's got all the potential in the world. Literally, it feels like deja vu from those Oiler years where you had all the talent you could muster and you've put as much of it on the ice as possible and they just can't figure it out. It's a mess. And it's sad. You know, it is sad uh, if, you, if you're a Canucks fan. Now, I'm not. So I get to sit back here and kind of just watch from a distance. But I am working with these guys that I'm telling you, man. We're two weeks into the season, and they're hoping that it's just as painless as they possibly can the rest of the way. There's very little hope. There's very little optimism, and that's not a great place to be six games into the season. Let me tell you that right now. We're going to leave it there. That's topic two. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including T-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Okay, topic three here. And I'm going to go off for a moment, but I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed and I'm tired (laughs) of the Edmonton Oilers media. The media that is dedicated to surrounding this organization and, and covering them. Look, we all know that sports media is never going to be the kind of hard-hitting journalism we would expect around the political uh, arena or around other types of industry. However, it is one of the most consumed, one of the most uh, sort of uh, well-funded and organized in this country as far as the amount of attention and energy that uh, it it elicits. The organizations who uh, employ these, these reporters these uh, columnists, these radio hosts, the organizations that create this content, you know, they are massive. We're talking Bell, we're talking Rogers, uh, the CBC when it's Hockey Night in Canada, although that's really Rogers, Post Media, uh, now The Athletic, which of course is owned by the New York Times. But a lot of these organizations are mass producing sports related content. They've got a lot of uh, these journalists in there. However, there are always these beat reporters, these day-to-day in the trenches kind of guys. And for a long time, those individuals were were sort of like the lifeblood of a fan base. They were the they were the people people turned to 
first thing in the morning when they flipped open the newspaper in Edmonton, whether it was the sun or the journal. Well, over time, you know, it, it, it continued to grow into a more sort of diverse ecosystem. You had sports talk radio again in Edmonton, 630 Ched, TSN. I think at one point there was like a team 1040 or something. Now there's TSN radio. There is no sports net radio in Edmonton, but I know in bigger markets like Vancouver or in Toronto, there's there's a bit more diversity, let's say, in terms of the sports talk radio. Now, obviously, that's also evolved into podcasting, like what you're listening to right now. We are not, however, you know, accredited um, reporters for the Edmonton Oilers. We do not get to uh, go into the locker room at the end of the game and interview players. We do not get to have the access that these bigger conglomerates and their reporters get. And of course, over time, it became the internet too. That's the big thing. It became the internet. And when the internet, I think what the internet has changed is the immediacy with which these people are interacting. So obviously you have Twitter, you have social media, but you also have you know, articles going up rather than to deadline and then they'd be printed and you'd see them the next day. They're up 20 minutes after the game, game reviews, you know, all of this kind of stuff. As much as there has been a proliferation of the amount of content a democratization of voices surrounding these sports. I think at the same time, there has also been, I think that the actual content has been diluted. Um, it's been dumbed down and simplified, whether that's because it needs to be communicated in a tweet or whether it's just the, the sheer speed at which the content must become available. We're losing some of the actual substance. And what I think is frustrating about that is that it we're, we're kind of okay with it, or we've kind of accepted it as, as the norm. And I wanted to take a moment here to kind of call out, especially Edmonton's media, because that's the media I consume. There are a lot of people there who I'm sure work very hard to do really good work. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of them have become complacent and they have become comfortable in the roles they have. I think back to last year and the press conference that Leon Dreisaitl and Jim Matheson kind of got into it at. If you recall, Jim Matheson asked him kind of a pointed question about why he was, uh, you know, wh whether or not, you know, the Oilers liked the sort of situation they were in. And Leon flipped back uh, somewhat sarcastically that, yeah, obviously we love losing 5-1 or whatever the quote was. And Jim kind of pushed back and said, why are you so pissy? And Leon for a moment was kind of surprised and then retorted right back. You know, and you had this awkward exchange where an athlete stood up for themselves in a moment and the reporter kind of stood up for themselves, to be fair. But the way in which the whole exchange went down came off very, very petty both ways. And it was interesting for me to see the fallout of that because you had the media, especially the national media, including TSN and Sportsnet, who are the big, big players in this kind of come out and defend the journalist first and be like, well, he's just trying to do his job and the athlete shouldn't get so chippy with him. And I'd like to, ref I, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit at the time, but I, I, I think that this is actually a, like a little microcosm of a bigger issue, which is the fact that I think we have lost the relationship between what these journalists' job actually is and what the athlete's expectation in terms of that transaction is. Obviously, they have an obligation to go get quotes, try to fluff up their story with player, uh, you know, responses. They've already they've already decided what opinion they're going to put into the piece that they're writing. Now they're just looking for that that post game quote that they can fill it in, to give it a little color. 
and the athletes recognizing that obviously these people covering this is beneficial to the sport because if they didn't have this coverage, perhaps you know they wouldn't grow their audience and la 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 la. The truth being that this is and this is where I'm frustrated. What we've lost or, or 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 misunderstood about the current relationship is that the actual content creators out there for whom fans are going to are no longer these major. Uh, publications. No one is reading Jim Matheson with the same ferocity that they did 20 years ago when it was the only thing to read. And and instead of trying to make better content to dig a little bit deeper, I think Jim Matheson is trying to be the blogger. And that doesn't work because you're not a blogger. The new audience, the new growth is actually happening around or you know websites like Oilers Nation or in a different market, you know Canucks Nation or or Flames Nation or whatever. Blog-based things. They're going to podcasts like us, they're going to podcasts uh like other people uh who are creating content from a fan perspective, talking about things fans are actually thinking about and caring about. And that doesn't happen. The next thing I wanted to talk about with this specifically though is when you do have those journalists in the room, it's because they're credentialed. And when they're credentialed, they have an obligation, in my opinion, to actually hold that organization to task and not just for what's happening on the ice, but in terms of the actual overall organization. You know, we've talked a lot on this show about how uh, Jim, uh, we've talked a lot on this show about how Rick Westhead and uh, his reporting with, with TSN has really opened our eyes to some of the bigger issues surrounding hockey. And what's frustrating or disappointing is that when you have opportunities from these other journalists to actually go and say something and do something about it, they just don't know how to do that, right? They don't know how to have those conversations. Um, and that's okay. That's not what they're necessarily a skill set. But what I am frustrated by is that there aren't other people stepping up to do that work for them organization by organization. Hold these guys accountable when they are making bad decisions from a hockey perspective, from a business perspective, or when they have employees who should be held accountable for other issues. I'm thinking Bob Nicholson. Why has nobody ever asked Bob Nicholson about his responsibility in this Team Canada situation? That is the role of those beat reporters. You are covering this team. You should be asking those questions. I'm going to leave that for one second. I'm going to get to my final point because I don't need this show to drag on and on and on and on when it's only my voice you're hearing. I would like to say this too. I think that the Oilers media is, is very quickly devolving into a mob of singular ideas. What do I mean by that? I mean that when the sort of, let's, let's call them like the upper echelon of Euler reporters, the people who have the most access, we would consider them quote unquote insiders and they're probably the most senior writers and reporters there. When they kind of get on an idea, everybody else around them just sort of globs on and follows that down the river. There's no uh, tributaries. There's no diversion from whatever that theme or idea is. And it's so frustrating as a fan because it's so, it, 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 it's so vanilla, so bland, so lacking of any substance. I want to have, I would like as a fan, to read and dig in to conversations that are substantive, fact-driven, less opinion and less observation, because guess what? There are, let's call it 35, 45,000 fans every single night watching these games critically, and they see what's right in front of them. They don't need 
a journalist at the end of the night to try to convince them that they have seen something they have not seen because that journalist believes so strongly in what they think as opposed to recognizing that what you are actually needing to dig into is to fulfill an obligation to the fan base to elicit, to illustrate, to help us see the things we ourselves cannot already see. If all you are doing is pointing out the absolute obvious, what role do you fill here? We can do that ourselves. We can go to Twitter and we can vent it ourselves and we get hung up on these specific things. Here's, here's one for a great example for you. And one of our favorite journalists on this, on this show in, in Mark Spector, Mark Spector has tweeted since the beginning of training camp, probably, I don't know, about a third of them have been about Yessi Pugliarvi. Why? Why are you so strung up and hung up about a second or third line winger right now? Every single thing has to come pointing back to him. It's like you've got some kind of weird fetish on. I don't understand it. The Oilers can see, the Oilers fans can see when Yessi's successful and when he's not. That's very obvious. But you're not going to change anything. You're not going to really change anyone's opinion. I think most people's minds are made up about whether they want Yessi on the team or they don't want Yessi on the team. And what are you doing right now other than grinding an axe? And what's interesting is that it, as I said, seeps out into every other part of the media ecosystem around the, the NHL when, or around the Oilers when one of these things gets hung up on. During the game the other night, you know, you have... You have Fogel and you have McLeod having a great shift. Their other line mate is Jesse Pugliarvi. And yet all the conversation post game is about how great those two guys were. Well, yes, he's on the line. He's got to be having a good game. If, he, if they're having a good game, he's clearly contributing in some fashion to that, even if it's just by forechecking. But we're hung up on these single issues. This is all we want to drive. I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't understand when we lost the critical perspective, when we lost the, when we lost the ability to be aggressive about it. And maybe it was never there. Maybe that's the other thing. Maybe I am wishing for something that was never really there. Because when I look back at some of the early experiences I had interacting with Edmonton's fan base and media, there are very few examples of what I'm actually looking for right now, which is fair. My touchstone one in the current crop is Daniel Nugent Bowman, who I think is an, an excellent journalist and right now is pushing hard to try to write critical thinking pieces about analytics, about deep dives on terms of what the team's actual struggles and, and, and development are throughout training camp. I thought he did a very good job talking about the, you know, the, the fights at the bottom of uh, the roster where you had Derek Ryan looking to continue to have a, a role on this team and things like that. So there are examples where it works, but then you get to some of these guys who have the most, the most to, of an audience, the, the largest audience, and their content is just so flat. It's just so, it, it's, it's just so disappointing. You know, it's Mark Spector and it's Bob Stoffert. And you've got these guys who's just like, I've heard this before. I don't need to hear it again. I don't need to hear Bob Stoffer go off again on a radio broadcast about the, the, the bad officiating in the NHL. I don't, I mean, it's there. Obviously every single fan can see it. I don't need to be told over and over again, what's right in front of my eyes. That does not, advance the conversation that does not grow the audience it does not improve the experience of a fan of an organization most fans are smart enough to be able to interpret what they see right in front of them and if they aren't that's fine that's their space to grow and learn and, and become more uh, educated or more or more knowledgeable fans there's space for that too but you are not doing that in this format you know i miss the days of reading joanne ireland or reading uh Again, reading columns that actually were talking about what they were seeing from their 
from their sort of elevated perspective. The reason they are a journalist writing about it as opposed to Joe Schmuck on the street and whatever he has to tweet about it, the reason people went to there, why they were paid, what they were paid to have the access they have was to actually refine, develop, and share opinions that had something to add to the conversation as opposed to the constant regurgitation of the same old idea, the same old thought, the same old perspective. And maybe it's time, and I've said this before on the show, maybe it's time for us to rethink how and, and to whom access is granted. Maybe it's time to actually uh, challenge these organizations to open up those media availabilities, to open up the space, whether it's on a rotating basis. So you've got, you know, your accredited press from post media and from Sportsnet and from TSN and whatever else. You have your accredited media because they, you know, they generate the revenue necessary when you've got all of these ad partners and, and all that shit. You have that. And then you have an, a select group of media passes available on a monthly, weekly, season basis that can go out to the bloggers, to, that can go out to the, the, the podcasters and go out to the people who are creating content for fans by fans and the people that the fans are actually going to get their content from. That's the thing that I don't think these organizations recognize if their value in terms of the access they give is based on trying to service their fan base in terms of trying to grow their fan base or just in terms of 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 trying to fulfill some kind of unseen unwritten transaction whatever the reason is there is space and i think it is time for that that pool of of observers commentators communicators to grow it needs to be more diverse it needs to be more uh uh, open and, and and honest as as far as what fans are actually experiencing and seeing, and I believe very strongly that if those opportunities were given, you'd be surprised with the kinds of intelligent, unique, uh, creative questions that would be asked of these these athletes and and of these organizations. You would get more from them. Um, I think that's the other thing. I think that when these athletes are asked the same bloody questions every single game, they get too comfortable in the patterns that they're in and you don't get good content. And so then it becomes more and more frustrating for those journalists. But the, what the journalists don't realize is that is the athlete isn't the problem here. The athlete isn't just holding back. He's not being pissy like Jim Matheson once accused him. It's not about that. Their, their job is to play hockey, to, to be there available for you to answer, answer your questions. You have an obligation to ask better questions, to write better columns, to educate and, in, and, and in, envelop the imagination of your audience, to in, increase the audience uh, is engagement with the sport itself. And that will only happen if we continue to rethink how this entire transaction occurs. That's, that's my two cents on it, or my five cents or 10 cents or however long I've been talking. And that's, I think, where it's at. I think that the, we, we should expect more as fans from the media, especially our beat reporters and the people who are bringing us content on a daily basis than we currently have. And I think that until we continue to push back and challenge them to be better, uh, they'll continue to just sit into their comfortable patterns because why wouldn't they? All right. This was fun. Uh, it was a little weird uh, for me to just kind of go off on a, a tangent and a rant. And then uh, I feel kind of lonely and I miss both Braden and Elliot but I'm sure that they will be back with me next weekend. Thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, please go subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also check out all the other podcasts and offerings from around the Ordinary Podcasting Network at our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening. 
That was Hatcher. Patrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.